You may be trying to push us away with your garbage baseball and you're losing all the time. We're not going. We're not leaving. We're not leaving. We'll always be here. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, the inspiration behind Logan Paul's personality, my brother Mike. If uh, if I was the inspiration behind Logan Paul's personality, I would have already drowned myself. So <laughs> um, <laughs> You say that like you're like planning to in the future or something. Well, I would have already drowned myself and not just what's going to happen in three weeks. <laughs> yeah, that guy sucks. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but hey. You would know. He took everything he knows from you. So, uh, Mike likes to just randomly challenge people to boxing matches on the street. Um, but anyway, on this week's episode, we'll dig into another losing week from the Royals, do a little Piccolo role playing. Don't worry, it doesn't get too weird. And preview this week's games. Uh, but we got a new review on Apple Podcasts that we'll get to first. We'll write, read it. We want to thank the person who wrote it. Uh, if you, anytime you want, send us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll read it right here on the episode. Uh, always be rating us on Spotify and all the podcast apps. Give us those five-star ratings. Helps out a ton. Helps people find the show. We love it. It helps Mike's self-esteem greatly. Uh, the review comes from someone <laughs> who puts their name in as dollar sign, dollar sign, awful, ampersand, ampersand. Uh, and the title of it is Great Podcast for a Not-So-Great Team. And it says, as someone who lives far away from Kansas City, this podcast is a great way to keep up to date on the Royals. We've always said it. We watch the games so you don't have to. So if you're far away from Kansas City and you're like, I can't listen to Sports Talk Radio, why would you listen to that anyway? Uh, but you want to hear what's going on, but you don't want to actually have to watch the games. Great way to stay in touch. Great way to stay up to date. Thank you so much. Uh, dollar sign, dollar sign, awful, ampersand, ampersand. We really appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> yes, please send in those reviews. Uh, the, the funnier the name, the better. Uh, and so that was all. I'll give that one a, a 50 on the uh, scouting scale, 50 grade oh, name. At for least sign, a 55. At least a right. 55. Right. Uh, before we get to the content, we have an ad to do. Royals Weekly is brought to you by Nap Family Wealth. Mike, can you think of anything more important than securing your financial future? Keeping it sleazy. I know that's a life motto for you. You know, right? It's a dog-eat-dog world, and I got DMX mating with Corella DeVille up in here. Okay? Oh, yeah. You, yeah. Yeah, you need some You need some help. Some help. Uh, you need so securing your financial future is one of the most important steps someone can take for themselves and their family. And Nat Family Wealth is ready to help you pursue it. This isn't some big faceless corporation we're talking about here. Nat Family Wealth is run by JC Knapp. He's a huge baseball fan and he's been helping people plan for their financial futures for 20 years. He can help with retirement planning so you don't have to work till you're dead. Education planning so your kids learn to read good. Investment management so you can get all that money from out of your mattress and get it working for you. Don't spend another day thinking you've got it all figured out because trust me, you don't. Check out Nap Family Wealth at, K- at napfamilywealth.com. That's K-N-A-P-P familywealth.com. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA slash SIPC. We'll start the review of last week with a real bummer. Uh, it's roster news time. And if we're talking about roster news from last week, we're talking about Vinny Pascantino going down for the year. Vinny Pascantino was placed on the 60-day injured list this week with a torn labrum. Uh, he'll be out for the remainder of the season. Mike, your thoughts? I hate it here. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's what I wrote in there. It just, it sucks. Uh, he's having surgery soon. I hope that works out well for him. If there's one like tiny kind of 
thing you might take from this. He did say that he'll still be in the clubhouse. He'll still be, um, you know, kind of the cheerleader of the team. Vinny Pasquantino strikes me as a guy that they need in the clubhouse. Um, and, you know, we're going to talk about Samad Taylor a little bit more as well. I think he's another one of those guys that they maybe need in the clubhouse. And so it'll be good to have him still around. But, man, that that hurts. Hurts big time because uh, he is so much of their offensive production. Um, really, really, really sucks. It does. You know, we wanted to see him come out and have a big sophomore year, a big, you know, just let the baseball world know that he is a special and unique player. But not going to be the case at this point. He's, he's down for the rest of the year. Uh, if there is a silver lining, I don't know that you is, but if, if we want to look for one, uh, it does mean more room for other guy, young guys to come up and, and get a shot in Major League Baseball and for the Royals to see what they can do. We're going to talk about some odd Taylor more later. Tyron Blanco's come up. A few others have come up. Logan Porter might get a shot at some point because of this. And, you know, they're going to look at Matt Beatty, who they also brought up. And so maybe they can find some value there. And, you know, that, that's the only silver lining there might be is that, you know, Prado will probably play first base every day and he's a great glove at first. And you'll have to see other guys rotating through that DH position. But boy, you'd love to have a guy like Vinny Pascantino in your lineup when you're a team that is currently pacing for one of the five worst seasons in Major League history. Speaking of some of those call-ups, earlier on in the week, the Royals brought up Dyron Blanco. He's an outfielder, 30-year-old, a little old for a prospect, but he's been was killing it down in AAA, swiping bags, getting on base, multiple hit games all the time. Mike, what do you think about what you've seen from Blanco so far? We've seen some good stuff, you know, he hasn't had a lot of opportunities to hit yet, but when he has, he, he's putting up pretty solid numbers right now. Defensively, he's looked pretty good. They've mostly had him in left defensively, which of course is a, is a pretty serious upgrade from just about anybody else they've had in left this year. Um, but yeah, he's, he's done good. All you can ask him to do is do what he's done so far. So uh, I assume moving forward, unless you know, Kyle Isbell is close to coming back, so he may not stay up. But I want him to. I want to see him get a few more opportunities at the plate, uh, just because. Why not? You know. I think he's bound to be in the major leagues for the Royals for quite a bit this year because even if he goes back down when Kyle Isbell comes up, I think Edward Olivares might get moved, and when he does, boom, Dyron Block goes right back, and so. He's a really good fourth outfield option for them because they can use him in a pinch running role, which he did. They did on Saturday, and he was the what ended up being the go ahead run. I think mm -hmm. uh, ended up being the winning run for them. Or no, wait, sorry, he was the game tying run. Maybe I can't. No, remember he was exactly. the winning run, but he gets was he okay? He gets mm -hmm. on first, steals second. There's an overthrow, goes to third on the air. He's just making things happen with his base running. A good base runner, fast guy. Obviously, a defensive upgrade in the corners over a guy like um, Olivares or MJ Melendez, and so. Yeah, great, great to see him uh, get a shot. He's 30 years old, so you may not see some of the same issues you see with really young players who are like, you know, I I'm so excited. I got to be the hero all the time, you know, like, uh, so I hope Dyron Blanco can sort of stay in there, stay consistent, keep helping this team as much as he can, because he's a great story. You know, a guy who's a late prospect, not because of anything he did, you know, late coming over from Cuba, but he's really done well everywhere he's been in the minors and he's, he's making a case that he deserves to be a major league player for a while. And so hopefully he, uh, he does well while he's up. The Royals brought up another guy who is similar to Dyron Blanco, but maybe seven, he's like seven years younger. And that's Samad Taylor. Uh, we've been sort of calling for this for a couple months now, Mike, like really, really wanted to see Samad Taylor. We saw a ton of him in spring training thought, man, this dude is electric. He's a spark plug. What are you seeing from Samad Taylor? What do you, uh, what do you think about his call up and, and how he's played so far? I think it's exciting stuff. Uh, I just mentioned it. I think not only do they need him in the clubhouse, I think he has the opportunity to be a really exceptional utility player playing three to five times a week 
and really give energy to a lineup. He does some small things very well. You know, he was able to get the go ahead run the other night, but he also had two walks in that game. Um, he had, you know, he'll, he'll take a walk every now and then, although probably not as high as you want it to be, but he, you know, he had an, another hit today. He had a sacrifice bunt today. Like, I just feel like he's going to do enough stuff. Well, that he's maybe not an everyday guy, but an exceptional role player. And so I like Samad Taylor on this team. I think a really good team for the Royals has Samad Taylor as your number one utility guy. And here, but here's the thing. He might need to be an everyday guy on this Royals team. Well, yeah, this Royals, this Royals team, Royals yeah, team. of course. <laughs> and, and, you know, he's still 23 years old. Like, what would make him a utility guy versus an everyday player? Usually it's how much can you hit? Can you hit enough to be in the lineup every single day? He's still only 23 years old. There's nothing that says when he hits his offensive prime, he won't be hitting enough. I mean, look at his numbers in AAA, walking at a pretty high clip, something like 10 or 11%, striking out under 20%. But those aren't bad numbers, right? If you can put the ball and play hard enough, which he can, he has some pop. He's not going to hit a ton of home runs, but he hits the ball pretty hard. Um, you know, he's the type of guy who I think it would not surprise me if like a Whit Merrifield, but with maybe even a little bit better, better walking ability, he finds a way to be just as, if not more successful at the major league level than he was at the minor league level, if that makes sense. Because, you know, there were, I don't know that Whit Merrifield was ever as successful in the minor leagues as he ended up being in the major leagues. But there was something about him that allowed him to game to really play at the major league level. We've seen some plate appearances from, from some odd Taylor since he got up that were insanely good. You don't see him make bad swing decisions a lot, or at least we haven't in the, in the couple games he's played so far. You mentioned he walked twice the other day. He should have walked three times because three, one count. The umpire gives a free strike. That's about five inches off the plate. Drove me crazy. Had to get that out there. Um, so, yeah, you're talking about a guy who's had a lot of success. I was going to choose him for my strong performance this week, but he hasn't really played enough. And so, but I wanted to throw it out there. He's got off to a pretty hot start and really been an energy giver. And that position versatility is only going to help them because he can play second base. He can play the outfield. I think that's going to go a long way to making sure that he might stick in the major leagues permanently. Speaking of second base, he may have to play a lot of second base moving forward because Michael Massey has gone on the 10-day injured list with a laceration on his hand. Uh, I hear it's right near his knuckle. He's got a cut. It's on one of his fingers, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, near a knuckle. Um, And so as a result, the Royals have brought up Matt Beatty, who they just signed not that long ago. Remember, Beatty was with them in the spring, had a pretty great spring training, and we, we were there, and Matt Beatty could not, could not stop be, hitting. You like, could not get Matt Beatty out when we were there. He was, he, he was putting out multiple home runs a game. I think we saw him hit at least two in a game and maybe a double off the wall. Uh, so he was doing really well in our spring training for us. Uh, I think spent some time with San Francisco this year. Uh, not very much in the major leagues, but he was hitting pretty well in the minor leagues. Mike, what do you think about Massey to the 10-day IL and Matt Beatty up to Major League Baseball? Well, you know, the Massey thing kind of sucks. Uh, he needs at-bats in Major League Baseball or somewhere, consistent at-bats to, to refine his approach and stuff. But, you know, the, the Matt Beatty thing is more of a meh to me. I, I don't think – I think Matt Beatty's like a 4A player. Um, I would prefer – I would have preferred Logan Porter just to get his first look in Major League Baseball. Matt Beatty does give you some power from the left-hand side. But, um, yeah, I would have – I would prefer to see Logan Porter in that situation. Here's the thing about Matt – or here's the thing about the Royals and the whole Matt Beatty situation. First off, they need to be doing stuff like this. If when you're a bad team, you need to be, you need to have a high turnover. You need to be looking at as many quad a long shot, late blooming potential diamonds in the rough as you can look at, because 
You never know when you'll find the right situation or you'll make the right adjustment that unlocks that player's ability to stick in the major leagues and give you value. And so they need to see as many as possible. It's a good thing that they saw Fran Mill Reyes. It's a good thing that they're seeing guys like, you know, Matt Duffy or whoever. Like, it's a good thing that they're cycling through a lot of these guys because like Matt Duffy, maybe like Duffy's hitting really well this year. And as a result has given them maybe a little bit of trade value for him. Great. You need to be seeing as many of these guys as you can possibly see. And these late bloomer quad A players can end up being guys who are like, oh, no, wait, look, he took off. He's going to stick with us now. Like, And so, yeah, I'm glad to see Matt Beatty up. I know you'd rather see Logan Porter. I'm like, it, Logan Porter is actually not hitting all that well down in AAA right now. And, you know, I think he's going to get his chance. Logan Porter is going to get an opportunity to see if he can stick at the major league level. And I hope when he does, he actually does. And but but I'm fine with it being Matt Beatty at this point. We'll see moving forward uh, if he's uh, able to be more productive for the Royals. Some other roster tidbits: the Royals DFA Jackie Bradley Jr. and Mike Myers. Not so much to say about those two things. Bradley was always a stopgap. He was never going to stick around when they got healthy in the outfield. Uh, Myers had a moment there where he was pitching really well for the Royals, but turned back into a pumpkin fairly quickly. A a predictable outcome for a guy who's a journeyman and really has never solidified himself in in major league baseball so uh, we're not going to say too much about that we'll move on to reviewing the week on the field the royals went one and five last week which brings their overall record to 19 and 52 Ooh, <laughs> got that 19th win almost to 20 uh i have <laughs> I, I have here on the darkness sometimes when i write on the outline i get real poetic and dark with it and it's just i have seen the darkness and it was the post red series last week when people were going full therapy session in my timeline, there's sometimes when people are just like, it's like I'm their th- Royals related therapist. And they're just like tweeting at me all this like rage and anger and sadness. And I'm like, I, this isn't my job. I'm not your therapist. Like, uh, and so, but that's what it was like after that 10 game losing streak, the Royals grabbed a very dramatic win on Saturday, came all the way back from down seven. I think it was yeah. to beat the angels. And uh, only to promptly start what I what I must think must be another losing streak today with a loss uh, to the Angels. Mike, how do you feel about last week? Uh, it was another rough week, you know, but there were some signs last week that made it a little less depressing for me. Bobby Witt Jr. looks like the player that we really hoped he can be, and I'll talk about that more in a second. Seeing Samad Taylor come up and get the game-winning hit and contribute value to the team. Salvi's little uh, injury scare there not being a long-term thing. All of those things, you know, Nick Prado continues to be somewhat productive. Uh, All of those things, you know, give me a little hope and optimism as well, especially the Bobby Witt Jr. thing. But um, yeah, it it was dark, but I I don't expect them to be winning. Yeah, that's a pretty uh, interesting. That's a pretty like, uh, I feel like fair way of describing it. I'm just here for some odd Taylor. That's just my thing. Like, I'm just here to see him play. Uh, It was great to see him give energy like that. You're right. He seems like a guy who's going to fit into the chemistry of that locker room and that clubhouse uh, well. A guy who's, I mean, an energy giver. You know, like we watched him make things happen on the baseball field. Did I love the fact that he sacrificed bunches in the bottom of the second today? I do not. <laughs> but, you know, get out there and make stuff happen, Samad Taylor, because I love the plate appearances you're taking. And, you know, it is a, a little tiny, tiny bright spot in what has been a very, very dark week last week and a very dark season all season. So great to see that at least we get a little bit of a a happy story there. In a dark week, Mike, you mentioned some guys still played well. Who was your strong performer for this week? Yeah, there were actually quite a few uh, guys that had pretty good offensive numbers this week. 
Um, but I went with Bobby Witt Jr. because we've all had some frustrations, I guess, with the up and down of Bobby Witt Jr. And this might be the week where going through and watching games, it seemed to be most consistent at the plate approach-wise. Uh, this might have been the most consistent he's been uh, with his approach. He was 7 for 23 with a home run, a double, 7 RBI. He looked way more comfortable with guys on base this week than what he has in previous weeks. Four walks to three strikeouts. Anytime Bobby Witt Jr. in a week has more walks than he does strikeouts, it's likely to be a pretty good week for him. Huge for him. Now, if you listen to Alex, Alex Duvall's... Uh, uh, and Royals Farm Report, his Twitter spaces today, it was very good. He did it with David Lesky. Um, they mentioned that overall, over the last like month, they, they kind of stated his numbers and stuff, and his walk rate is up. It's not quite to 10%. It's actually, it wasn't even all that high. It was, I think it was below 5% for the month. But they brought up the point that Bobby Witt Jr. won't necessarily have to walk a bunch to be productive, but the approach has to be good, if that makes sense. So, because of the power in his bat and the ability to produce runs and then also steal bases, he can be a very productive player, even if he isn't walking a lot. Okay. And I think the guy that Lesky brought up was like Trey Turner. Um, Trey Turner's got a lot of dynamite in the bat, but he doesn't necessarily walk all that much. Um, now, Bobby Witt Jr. for this week had an OPS of 885. If he can stick to a place where he is driving the ball consistently, swinging at pitches he can do damage on another great point that uh alex made uh, just on twitter i think in a tweet that he had was that bobby witt jr is finally doing more damage to fastballs he's improved his ability to hit fastballs he's really bad on fastballs um, but now that he's starting to improve that we're starting to see the numbers come up for him so if if this week even though losing Vinny pasquantino if this is the week that bobby witt jr starts to be more consistent and starts to take that track on to superstardom that we all think he can, that'll be a, a good thing. Yeah. There were basically three things that you would point to and say, Bobby Wood Jr. needs to fix these three things. If he's going to become, if he's going to reach his hitting potential one, he needs to do damage on the pitches that he gets. That he should do damage on. He doesn't necessarily do that. He, his numbers are not that good. Fastballs in the heart of the plate, for example, he struggles with those or at least, most major league hitters are going to have numbers like 500 batting average, 700 slugging against fastballs in the middle of the plate because it's the easiest pitch to hit. He didn't have those kind of numbers. His were like, oh, he hits 300 on fastballs in the middle and maybe like a 450 slugging, but that's not good enough. On the fastballs in the heart, you should be crushing them. He needed to improve that. He needed to improve his strikeout rate and he needed to improve his walk rate, right? The approach that he's taking now one where he is most definitely being more patient. I know he came out with a soundbite and said, oh, I want to be an aggressive hitter. That whole, you know, this is all garbage, this antiquated way of thinking. I know he came out and said that, but what he's doing speaks louder. His actions speak louder than his words. And his actions are he's being more patient at the plate. He's taking more pitches, not chasing as much, not swinging as much in the shadow. And as a result, the strikeout numbers are coming down. The walk numbers are only going up a little bit. And you're right. He doesn't have to walk at a, 12% clip to be effective, but he, if he's not going to walk, he needs that strikeout number to come down. Okay. And it has come down. And that's what is ultimately helping him. He's putting balls in play hard and getting enough hits off of that. Right. I think ultimately his very ceiling will be when he can do both. When he can, in the minor leagues, he would walk at about 9% clip. If he can get there in the major leagues and uh, something like a 15 to 18% walk rate, Bobby Wood Jr. is a, an all-star easily. 
Okay. He isn't easily an all-star. It looks like he's got the approach now that could kind of move him in that direction. The one word of caution that I will give is that the Royals did not see a lot of elite level fastballs in this week. Okay. So maybe just a little bit of caution still until we see some guys, see how he hits against some of those guys that really throw hard and that, or that have exceptional um, movement, exceptionally difficult to hit fastballs. Uh, But overall, very encouraging sign from him. More encouraging signs this time from a pitcher. And I'm actually starting to get a little bit excited about my strong performer. Uh, And my strong performer for the week is Austin Cox, left-handed pitcher. He's been thrown out of the Royals bullpen as like a multi-inning reliever recently. Mike Myers has been sent down. So people are speculating that maybe Austin Cox is going to get uh, a rotation spot uh, since Myers has been sent down. Not exactly sure how that's going to work out timing wise. But he went five innings pitch last week, five strikeouts, two walks, no earned runs, no runs at all. I don't think he I think he has yet to give up a run in Major League Baseball. Yeah, yeah. And so you're talking about a guy who's been very effective. His stuff is looking very good. He is mixing in five pitches. And I made this point to somebody the other day. I think it might have been Josh Kaiser uh, while it was just sort of a back and forth on Twitter. If you can't have great stuff, have a lot of stuff. You know, that's what that should be the motto of, of any organization. Austin Cox is never a guy who's going to have Clayton Kershaw level stuff. It's not going to happen. It's just not in his DNA. He doesn't have the the physicality to have that kind of stuff. That's OK. Have a lot of stuff. He's got a pretty good curveball. We've seen it a bunch. Have a bunch of other pitches. I'm loving his. He's got like a high 80s, low 90s cutter. Right now, that is working really well. He's mixing it in with a slider that's at a different speed. That's what you do when you're a lefty who doesn't have great stuff. Throw a bunch of pitches and make them very confused about what's coming next. His fastball has been really effective. I'm getting a little bit excited about Austin Cox, a guy I thought, I mean, you and I saw him down in Northwest Arkansas, and it was like, woo. Yeah, I, I mean, I, this, this I guy's even, marginal at best. Yeah, I think he even had a good game that game, but we were like, yeah, eh, I'm not really impressed with the stuff. And, and you're right. Yeah. I, I think the way that he's doing it right now is, is by having a lot of different pitches and then up here in the brain, in the brain meat, he's understanding how to do it. That that's at bat today against Shohei Otani was, was a masterclass. I mean, it was really, really good watching him come inside with those fastballs, getting him to kind of speed up his bat and then throwing that really good curveball away uh, to put him away. And then he struck out Mike Trout in the next, next at bat. I mean, you strike out the two best baseball players in the world back to back. You deserve a shot to start for the Kansas City Royals. I don't care who you are. Okay. For the, for the Kansas City Royals, yes, you deserve to start. That's all it takes. Just strike out two dudes and you deserve to start for us. Um, but yeah, I do want the walk numbers for him to come down. I think they're a little bit troubling. You don't want to see him walk. And we may find out if he starts, in, if he gets into the rotation and starts going, try, trying to go five innings, six innings at a time, we may find out that that fastball does not play as well. In longer stints, maybe he can't do this as a starter. Maybe his best ideal role is as a long bulk reliever or something like that. That's fine, but give him a shot. This team is so desperate for starting pitching. You got to give him a shot in the rotation, I think. Mike, not everyone played great this week, obviously, or last week. Who was your week performer? Let us know what's going on. Daniel Lynch was my week performer this week. Uh, He had seven innings pitch, seven earned runs. Mark, do you know what that makes your ERA for the week? Nine. Nine. He had an ERA of nine for the week. He gave up four home runs in that game. Uh, not not great to give up four home runs uh, at Kauffman Stadium. Wait, was that at Kauffman? I yeah, that was at Kauffman. Yeah, because um, yeah, he played the Reds here. Uh, two walks, three strikeouts. Not 
a good showing for for Daniel Lynch, um, including five runs in a single inning. Like he he didn't he just didn't look great. Like uh, I think his changeup is still working pretty well, but he found way too much of the plate in that start. Um, you want him throwing strikes, so it's it's really this tough balance because you want him in the zone. You don't want him you know throwing non competitive pitches, which he struggled with in the past, and he was doing that, and they were hitting the shit out of it. So. Um, need, need better from Daniel Lynch. Yeah. I'm talking about a hitter, a guy who's a Royals legend, love him to death, but he did not have a great week at the plate this week. That's Salvador Perez. And he came up in some big moments with guys on base and was just, he had some strikeouts this week where literally the pitcher did not throw him a pitch inside the strike zone and he still swung three times and missed. And so that's the hard part of Salvador Perez. Yes, he is a great player. Yes, he is one of the Royals best players. Yes, he is a Royals legend. But my Lord, there are weeks when he just looks terrible at the plate. And this was one of them. <laughs> he went four for 19. He had one Here's home the- run, seven strikeouts and zero walks. Not very good. Um, yeah. I, I Perez can be a real frustrating figure. We got You got to stick with his ups and downs, but there are definitely some downs. And, and this was one of them. Last week was one of them. I think you made a good point on Twitter. Like, you love to have a Salvador Perez on your team because of the person that he is, because of his ability to hit home runs, you know, his ability to catch all that sort of stuff. He is a great piece on a baseball team, but you don't want a hitter with the profile of Salvador Perez in the middle of your lineup because he's not consistent enough. At the end of the year, his numbers might look fantastic, but it's going to be because he had a week where he was blistering hot and then he's going to have two weeks where he's not. And you're going to lose a lot of games in those two weeks if you're relying on a guy like Salvador Perez to be a consistent offensive producer for you. So you need somebody who's a little bit more consistent to be, you know, to make up kind of the heart of your lineup. And then uh, Salvador Perez is the guy who, when he gets hot, just takes you to another level. That's kind of how I see it anyway. If I'm building a team, um, you know, not that he, again, he is a Royal, like Mark said, Royals legend, great, great, great player, borderline, maybe hall of famer, but he is, uh, never going to be that consistent offensive performer that you need in the middle of a lineup. Yeah. So if you're watching on YouTube, you may have noticed Mike's video just went out for a little bit because his internet is hot garbage. Uh, and so, yeah, sorry about that, but he's back now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you didn't, uh, you may not have noticed Mike, but on my screen, your, your video went away. Yeah. Anyway, doesn't matter. Mike, what was your theme for this week? A star is born. Maybe, maybe a star is born. And I don't, and, and I actually could be in this two ways. Am I talking about, Bobby Witt Jr. and his improvement? Or am I talking about Samad Taylor and his call? Don't be taking mine. Don't be taking mine. All right. Uh, Either this applies to either one of them. I will come over there. I want to see this this week as a launching pad for one of those two or both because we need something to hold on to. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) My theme, which I entered first, and so Mike tried to apparently try to steal it, is it's Samad Taylor hours. Yay. I'm excited. He's played so well so far. Got to keep him in the lineup every day if he's going to be playing this well. And, you know, the Royals have been struggling offensively to some degree. They lost any Pasquantino. They've had a lot of over-aggressive stuff at the plate, and I hope he's the cure for some of that, you know. Get one more guy in that lineup like Michael Garcia, like a guy like Dyron Blanco, who's had some pretty good plate appearances as well. Bobby Wood Jr. is taking a step forward. The more guys you get in your lineup who are having good plate appearances, the better this offense will get. Royals Weekly is brought to you by All In Physical Therapy. For one-on-one personalized physical therapy, we choose All In Physical Therapy. 
They took excellent care of our mother after surgery left her with pain and limited mobility in her arm. She loves to work out, be active. Deadlift tornado debris off of scared puppies. The excellent specialized care she got at All in Physical Therapy had her back to being active in no time. Our mom moves more plates than a Florida Applebee's, people. I'm talking plates. Florida Applebee's. That's that's not where I want to be spending my time. Uh, I just assume those are the worst places (laughs) in the world. (laughs) All in physical therapy knows how to help athletes recover. It's owned and operated by Lee Summit's own Tommy Freevert, a former Arena League football player, Northwest Missouri State Bearcat, and a hell of a guy. They have offices in both Blue Springs and Lee Summit, so get over there to work with Tommy. Tell your doctor you want to do your physical therapy with the best of the best at All in Physical Therapy. To learn more, give them a call at 816-427-5300. That's 816-427-5300. Or visit their website at allin-pt.com. That's A-L-L-I-N-PT.com. This week's Spotlight segment is again brought to you by me, the creative genius behind all of our best content. Okay? Again, another one from this guy. Unbelievable. Today, Mark gets to play GM of the Kansas City Royals, and I get to be the dog with a bone reporter who is trying to make his career by making an executive say something stupid. Okay? A lot of gotcha questions coming your way. I feel like like you got a ball on Um, a tee with me at this one. So (laughs) It's going to be real good, okay? Um, Mark is not privy to these questions. He has not seen any of these in advance. Okay? So let's see how he handles the GM hot seat, since he seems to think he's got all the correct answers for the Royals. Okay. Dr. Mead. Yes. As I assume you will be going by your official title when you're hired as GM of the Royals. When you're talking to me, it's always Um, Dr. Mead. (laughs) The doctor is in ladies and gentlemen. Are you ready? Yes. That does not count as a question. (laughs) Okay. Um, First one, your Royals currently have only one prospect in the top 100, according to MLB Pipeline, and that's Gavin Cross at 63. And their farm system ranks in the bottom third of the league overall by most accounts. Dr. Mead, as the new GM, what will you do to increase the talent level throughout the minor leagues? Well, I, I'd like to sort of comment on the notion of having top 100 prospects to begin with, which is... You know, I think that notion is a little bit overrated in terms of how to rank a farm system or how to think of a farm system. Look at guys like Salvador Perez, never a top 100 prospect. You know, we have a lot of guys in our major league roster right now who were very recently top 100 prospects. Bobby Wood Jr., Nick Prado, MJ Melendez, all these sorts of guys. So if you're asking me, like, how should we think about an organization, it's it's less about whether they're in the top 100 and more about whether or not we think they can actually contribute at the major league level. Now, What are we going to do to find guys who can actually contribute at the major league level? It all starts with pitching. We are going to start feeding people in to a pipeline. We're going to start finding pitching that fits our player development in the minor leagues. You've seen a lot of our player development turn around guys like Frank Mazzucato, Ben Coderna, Shane Panzini, Noah Cameron. We've seen our player development with pitching have a lot of success this year. We have now started to define what we want in a Royals pitching prospect, what we want to target in things like in player acquisition, like the drafts, international signings, and so forth. We are going to start targeting that and feeding it into this player development system to create a steady pipeline of the best of the most valuable resource you can have in baseball. And that's pitching. Hmm. Terrible answer. Okay. (laughs) He seems like he's scared. We got him on the ropes. Here we go. All right. Um, question number two here. Okay. Fans have consistently 
seen players struggle to make the transition from AAA to the major leagues. What can you do as a general manager to help players be successful when they get to the show? Yeah, it's never been harder to make that transition from AAA to the major leagues than it is right now. The pitching is just so much better. The hitters are just so much better. It is a tough environment transitioning from AAA to the major leagues. I think the thing that we have to do as an organization is identify those traits that really make someone successful at the major league level and make sure we are evaluating guys based on those traits and based on those periphery numbers, those secondary numbers, and that sort of thing. Because you can go and have a great batting average, a great on-base percentage, a great slugging percentage in AAA, doing things that won't necessarily make you successful in the major leagues, doing things that at, at times will get exploited in the major leagues. And I think we've seen in the past, and maybe this was our problem sometime in the past, you've seen us promote guys just because they're having success at the AAA level, even when they should be doing some things differently at the AAA level to get to that success, walking more, seeing more pitches, chasing fewer pitches and that sort of thing. And luckily you're seeing the advent of more data tracking and things like that, like StatCast and TrackMan data at, the, at these AAA ballparks. And so that will let us see things like, oh, is a guy just getting lucky for a stretch of time in, in AAA? You know, is he, is he chasing too many pitches? Is he not having a good plan? We'll be, we'll be looking for things like approach both from pitchers and from hitters in ways that will allow them to be more successful as they transition to Major League Baseball. Now, that will always be a difficult transition, but hopefully some guys can make it a little bit more successfully moving forward. When you mention uh, those types of things, production at AAA, but not the things you would need to be in Major League, I immediately went to Kia Kayahue. That's, that's <laughs> where my, my brain yes. automatically goes. Um, yours can't go there. You're the GM of the Royals. Okay. Mm -hmm. You gotta be positive here. Okay. The question number three, as GM, what can you do to make sure the Royals get off to a more competitive start in 2024? So they're not out of it by the end of May. A lot of that happens here in 2023. We have to find out in the second half of 2023, who can be ready to play on opening day in 2024. We have to look for guys who can help us in the bullpen. We have to look for guys who can help us in the starting rotation. We have to make sure that our young lineup is ready by the time the end of the season happens to be more competitive from day one in 2024. We saw a lot of growth from this lineup up to this point, or rather struggles that we hope turns into growth. We think throughout the rest of the season, we'll see things like Bobby Wood Jr.'s had a, a stretch of success here. We've seen Nick Prado come up and be successful. We've got guys like Samad Taylor, Dyron Blanco. We're figuring out who is ready to have success in the major leagues. The next four months is an audition. Do you want to be ready to compete on opening day in 2024? We're looking for those guys in the second half of this year. Follow-up question to that one. Can MJ Melendez be that guy? He certainly can. Uh, he's got to work some things out right now. He's just not the type of hitter you need to be successful in right field. I think he can find a way to get that strikeout number down, find a way to start optimizing his launch angle. We need to get, we've seen Alex Zumwalt and, and his team turn those uh, hitters around before. And so there's some things that MJ definitely needs to do, but we're going to give him the time to do that because he is a really valuable part of our future. He needs to be a cornerstone hitter for us. I think he can do it. He's just got to find a way to have the right approach to the plate, hit the pitches that he can hit and avoid the ones that he really can't do damage on. All right, he's sidestepping the hard ones. I get it. Uh, <laughs> number four here. So 
like the it's like crossfire over here. Okay, four. Ugh. The Royals have hurt, have had a hard time developing starting pitching. What can you do as the GM to help turn the Royals into a pitching factory moving forward? And you kind of already addressed this earlier. Okay, what else can you do, maybe at the major league level, to help some of the guys who are already at the majors? Well, at the major league level, what we need to be doing is looking to make sure that guys are developing arsenals that can be competitive at the major league level, right? We can help guys on the periphery with their command, but we need five guys in that starting rotation who are ready to get major league hitters to swing and miss, okay? And that's tough to find, especially, you know, when you're trying to do it with guys you already have here. We're going to look elsewhere for some major league pitching. We're going to try and find reclamation projects. We're going to try and work with the guys we already have. But it's going to be competitive. It's going to be a competition for those five major league starting spots. We got guys like Anthony Veneziano, guys like Alec Marsh, guys like um, Austin Cox, who look like they want to be ready to take major league starting pitching slots. We're going to give them a shot. We're going to see what they have. We're going to work with their arsenals. I think it's not the right time for us to go out and a big, do a big money spend in the offseason for starting pitching. But we need to be looking to add value in some way. So a reclamation project here and there a guy who maybe other pe- teams aren't as high on, but we think has some potential. We're going to be looking for those kind of guys. You've seen Baltimore have a lot of success doing that sort of thing. We can do it too. Okay. Solid idea. Um, last question here. Okay. The draft is just around the corner. Who will you take with the eighth pick? And why will that disappoint me? <laughs> hmm? Well, if, see, I knew he couldn't answer these questions. As the GM, I'm, I, w- I would not answer this question ever. Uh, but <laughs> I'll tell you, we have some guys we're really excited about at that eighth pick. You know, you see guys like Matt Who Shaw. Who are you excited about at eight then? You see guys like Matt Shaw, a great hitter out of Maryland. Love him. Uh, with that eighth pick. We think he can play at least second base and potentially left field or center field for us. Good speed, good athlete, good approach to the plate. I'm getting excited a little bit about uh, this kid, Troy. For uh, a Taylor Troy, I think is his name. I'm getting a little Tommy excited Troy, about him. Yeah. Tommy Troy. Uh, Tommy Troy. Don't even know his name. Well, I got a lot he of players. Royals, don't even know his guy's name. I got a lot of players I'm looking at. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, Tommy Troy, a uh, guy who a lot of athleticism from him too. Uh, good approach to the plate. Hits the ball harder than crap. Not Maybe not the size you would normally see, so he might get overlooked a little bit. Uh, and so we would love to get a guy like him. What's most important isn't isn't what's happening at that eighth overall pick, honestly. What's most important is what's happening with the pitching we're hoping to draft in picks three through 20, right? Uh, that, that's what we need to be paying attention to. Can we find guys in the second, third, fourth, all the way through 20th rounds in the on the pitching end who can really now, if a guy like Paul Skeens falls to us, sure, we'll take a look at him, right? Like <laughs> I'll take Paul Skeens at eight if, uh, if, if he makes it down there. He's not going to make it down there. And so, you know, we're not going to really talk about that, but there is so much value to be had with pitching in the backgrounds, the later rounds. Look at guys for us like David Sandlin. Look for, look at guys like, uh, you know, John McMillan. We found a lot of pitching talent, Will Klein. Pitching talent can be had in the back end of the, of the Major League Baseball draft. And we're going to hopefully find it. We're going to find the qualities that our player development guys can turn into great pitchers, even if we take them in the third through 20th round. All right. Thank you for joining us today. And uh, I don't see I don't see the cloud lifting. I think uh, you're a bum. And and I think I've just exposed you and I'll be sitting here waiting for my Pulitzer in the mail. 
Back on the road for the boys in blue this week as they head to Detroit for three games against the Tigers and down to the desolate swamp that is Florida to face the mighty Tampa Bay Rays. Mike, would you say Florida is the classiest city in America? You mean Tampa, the classiest city? Yeah, sorry, Tampa. Is Tampa the classiest city in America? We know we know Florida's not the classiest state. It's like the <laughs> Lake of the Ozarks of the South. Um, no, t- I have never been to Tampa, Florida, but I hear it is the Paris of, a sw- of swampy retirement villages. So, hey. Can't go wrong there. Okay. Can't go wrong there. Uh, uh, yeah. No. Got themselves a heck of a baseball team and dozens of people come to watch them every day. Tell us about the Tigers, Mike. You know what's weird? Have we played the Tigers yet this year? I'm not sure. Maybe once. Maybe. I don't know. It feels like we haven't at all. And, you know, they're in our division. I know they changed up the schedule, but very weird. Uh, the Tigers are 30 and 40, which you would think, uh, another Tigers year. That's third in the AL Central, ladies and gentlemen. That is third in the AL Central. The, the team leading the AL Central has a 500 record. No lie. Woof. Um, so they're really hurt again. They're still very young as well. Um, Lyles will go against Reese Olsen in that first game, a 23-year-old right-handed pitcher with a 6.08 ERA. He's only going to have his third start of his career. And so uh, we'll see how he does. He's got a 1.05 whip in limited time. Slider, fastball in the mid-90s, sinker, changeup, curveball. He was the number 11 prospect, according to MLB Pipeline for the Tigers, uh, before he got called up. Did struggle with walks and AAA a little bit. So let's see if a Royal, if the Royals lineup can you know make him shaky like young guys sometimes get. In the second game, we'll have Daniel Lynch for, versus Michael Lawrenson, 31-year-old righty out of Cal State Fullerton, 4.23 RA, real good whip at 1.09. Mid-90s fastball, slider, changeup, sinker, sweeper. Doesn't get a lot of strikeouts, relies on his defense. Big-time ground ball pitcher, although he's only at 41% this year. Uh, In that third game, it'll be two people we're quite familiar with. Brady Singer versus Matthew Boyd, a 32-year-old lefty out of Oregon State. 5.6 ERA and a 1.35 whip this year, so the numbers aren't good. He's a soft-tossing lefty with a fastball in the low 90s a slider, a changeup. He's going to junk ball it up there. Um, teams are hitting his fastball quite a bit and his curveball as well. But that's going to be the Tigers. Looks like three guys that we should have the opportunity to get some wins against and some score some runs on. So then we're going to go to Tampa, and it's probably going to be a different story. Mark, tell us about the fighting Tampa Bay Rays. Well, they're amazing. As you might imagine, the Rays uh, have a, a great baseball organization. Uh, and they are 51 and 24, which is first in the AL East, I believe is the best record in baseball. Uh, not entirely sure if that's still the case, but they're basically a team full of killers. Uh, offensively, they've, they're paced by Yandy Diaz and Randy Arozarena, who both have OPS pluses over 145. I think Diaz is like 168, which means he is 68% better than league average as a hitter, probably. Or that's a rough estimate for, uh, for his offensive production. Uh, but the whole lineup is producing, honestly. It's it's top to bottom guys who get on base who do well. Uh, in the rotation, they got a, just a dynamic rotation uh, led by a guy named Shane McClanahan. I'm sure you've heard of him. He uh, was sixth in the Cy Young voting last year and will compete for the Cy Young again this year. He's got an ERA in the lo- low twos, I believe. Uh, they're a little beat up in the rotation. They've lost a couple guys, I think, for the season even. Uh, but they just got Tyler Glass now back, so... Yeah, uh, if the Royals grab a win from that uh, series, you call it a freaking miracle in my mind because that team is miles and miles better than them. 
We'll end this week's episode like we end every episode with our Just About Outside segment, where we talk about something that's interesting to us outside the world of baseball. Michael, I know what you're talking about. It was a blast. Tell us what uh, what you did last week. I wrote in the uh, outline there, Boulevardia. See, I'm young. Yay. Uh, I did something interesting. I left my house. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I finally left my house. I don't do it very often. I don't like doing it most times. Uh, but Mark and I and our significant others went down to Boulevardia on Friday night. Actually, I was thinking about it. I think that was the first Royals game that I have not at least listened to or watched part of, at least part of, live this year. I think it's hmm. the first time. It was Friday night. Um, didn't sorry. see any of the game Friday night. Went back and watched part of it today uh, just to see Singer pitch. Um, but it was a great time. Boulevardia was a great festival. You know, I love that Kansas City does it. I, you know, it it wasn't so, like, crowded and out of hand that it, it made me mad. I, I don't generally love big crowds of people or people crowding around me. But they did some things that were really fun. You know, you and I had a good time in the silent disco thing. If you've never done that before, you wear headphones and there were like three different DJs battling each other back and forth. And you could switch which one you were listening to on your headphones. But outside of the headphones, there is no noise. So it doesn't bother anybody else out there. It's not leaking into the rest of the festival. But people were having just a hell of a time um, doing that. And, and I had a great time doing it too. And then kind of capped the whole evening off with, a wonderful perform- performance by uh, Jason Isbell in the 400 unit um, America's greatest songwriter. So uh, yeah, it was, it was a great night, great evening. Um, so thank you, Kansas city for doing that, man. There was a ton of good music out there. Those DJs were great. There was a band, mm-hmm. another band playing with like Warren treaty played before Jason Isbell. They sounded great. There was another yeah, band I was, yeah. that was on just before Isbell went on. That was incredible. They had a saxophone player that was killing it. It was just a ton of good music out there. Uh, just a fun, fun event, man. A lot of good shops and vendors walking around, just checking stuff out. I, I don't drink alcohol, and I had a, I had a tremendous time out there. Um, Silent Disco was a ton of fun. They have these giant lawn games. Those are a lot of fun. It's really a cool, cool, cool event, and I'm really glad that Kansas City does it because it is and almost like And it was like cheap, a, guys. Like, they was cheap. <laughs> we 30, saw 30, 35 bucks. tons of great music. Yeah. Tons of great music. And I mean, don't get me wrong when you're there, the, you know, the beers are a little expensive and stuff like that, but right. Actually I got two, I got two fantastic tacos for nine bucks from a food truck too. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. <laughs> a lot of good food out so. there as well. Yeah. So I got a great burger. Uh, there was just every type of food you could imagine was out there. And so, yeah, just a great event. And it's it's almost like a carnival of just fun, you know, like for adults. And so, yeah, really, really good uh, stuff. I loved it. Loved it. Um, I'm talking about a TV show. I didn't take Boulevardia as mine, Mike, because I know you needed the two foot putt there. And so I was like, I'm not going to put Boulevardia <laughs> on there. Mike's going to want it. And I, so I can miss uh, a two foot putt. I know you can. Uh, I'm uh, I'm putting a new TV show I'm watching. I was actually really excited when I saw the, the promo for this TV show. I was like, man, I'm going to watch it. It's going to be great. Uh, and it actually lived up to the hype. It is great. And that, it's a show called Platonic on uh, Apple TV+. Plus. It stars Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne, who, if you don't know, are basically like a com- – they're like Nichols and May now. They're a, they're a comedy duo. They've been in a bunch of movies together. They, they starred in the um, – what was that? Uh, Neighbors, I think, was the the name of the movie. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. with Zac and Efron then, and yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and then Neighbors Two and, and stuff like that. And so uh, they they play this um, this these two people who are sort of were best friends at one time when they were younger, and then after five years, like they sort of stopped seeing each other 
uh, and I haven't watched the whole first season, so I may not know the whole plot, but they stop seeing each other uh, for because she doesn't like the woman who's going to become his wife. And then they he's getting a divorce to start the show. And so they're getting back together kind of as friends. And it's just, I love any time friendship between a man and a woman is displayed or any type of platonic relationship is like the centerpiece of a story. I really like it. I, I, I think TV does too much of romantic relationships as like the centerpiece of a story. I want to see more friendships as the centerpiece of a story. And Seth Rogen and, and Rose Burns is, is just a really interesting one. And so uh, I'm, I'm really loving you know it. They hilarious. Do it all the time, right? Platonic friendship as the centerpiece of a story all the time. There was a whole show called Friends, man. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. No, no, no. That is not the case. Seinfeld? Right? Seinfeld? The, yeah, Seinfeld maybe. But what was actually the centerpiece of the story of Friends? It was it was them always getting together with romantic Ross partners. And Rachel thing. Ross okay, and Rachel, yeah. Monica and Chandler, all this stupid shit. And I'm like, I don't care about that stuff. I want to hear, I want friendship as the actual centerpiece of the story. And that's what this is. Like, and... I can point to some other shows that have done it that I really liked. Like elementary was one where it was like, I really liked that they never pressured, you know, the Johnny Lee Miller, Sherlock Holmes character to get together with the Joan Watson, Lucy Liu character. I really like that. I want to see friendships and the sort of interesting and complex dynamics that sometimes exist in them uh, on a, on a television show. And I get it with platonic and it's also frigging hilarious. That's another like Rose Byrne is so funny. Seth Rogen is, of course, very funny. And so, yeah, it's just a great show. If you have Apple TV Plus, another reason. They're just coming out with Apple TV Plus has bangers, man. Ted Lasso, Mythic Quest, Platonic. Mythic Quest, great just, show. Just a ton of bangers <laughs> coming from Apple TV Plus. And so check out Platonic if, if that's a show you might be interested in. Uh, also check us out next week when we come back and talk about the Royals again. Because that's what we do. We are consistent. You may you may be trying to push us away, Royals. You may be trying to push us away with your garbage baseball and you're losing all the time. We're not going. We're not leaving. We're not leaving. We'll always be here. Join us next week when we talk about more Royals. Until then, be good to each other. And go Royals. <laughs>